Volume Two, Part Four of Herodotus's Histories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Histories, Volume Two, by Herodotus of Halicarnassus, translated by E. D. Godley, Volume Two, Part Four. This, then, was how Anacarsis fared, owing to his foreign ways and consorting with Greeks, and a great many years afterwards, Scyles, son of Ariapithes, suffered a like fate. Scyles was one of the sons born to Ariapithes, king of Scythia, but his mother was of Istria, and not native-born, and she taught him to speak and read Greek. As time passed, Ariapithes was treacherously killed by Spargapithes, king of the Agathersi, and Scyles inherited the kingship and his father's wife, a Scythian woman whose name was Opia, and she bore Scyles a son, Oricus. So Scyles was king of Scythia, but he was in no way content with the Scythian way of life, and was much more inclined to Greek ways from the upbringing that he had received. So this is what he would do. He would lead the Scythian army to the city of the Boristhanites, who say that they are Milesians, and when he arrived there would leave his army in the suburb of the city, while he himself, entering within the walls and shutting the gates, would take off his Scythian apparel and put on Greek dress, and in it he would go among the townsfolk unattended by spearmen or any others, who would guard the gates, lest any Scythian see him wearing this apparel, and in every way follow the Greek manner of life and worship the gods according to Greek usage. When he had spent a month or more like this, he would put on Scythian dress and leave the city. He did this often, and he built a house in Boisthenes, and married a wife of the people of the country, and brought her there. But when things had to turn out badly for him, they did so for this reason. He conceived a desire to be initiated into the rites of the Bacchic Dionysus, and when he was about to begin the sacred mysteries, he saw the greatest vision. He had in the city of Boristhanites a spacious house, grand and costly, the same house I just mentioned, all surrounded by sphinxes and griffins worked in white marble. This house was struck by a thunderbolt, and though the house burnt to the ground, Scyles nonetheless performed the rite to the end. Now the Scythians reproached the Greeks for this Bacchic revelling, saying that it is not reasonable to set up a god who leads men to madness. So when Scyles had been initiated into the Bacchic rite, some one of the Boristhanites scoffed at the Scythians. You laugh at us, Scythians, because we play the Bacchant and the god possesses us. But now this deity has possessed your own king, so that he plays the Bacchant and is maddened by the god. If you will not believe me, follow me now and I will show him to you. The leading men among the Scythians followed him, and the Boristhenite brought them up secretly onto a tower, from which, when the Scyles passed by with his company of worshippers, they saw him playing the Bacchant. Thinking it a great misfortune, they left the city and told the whole army what they had seen. After this Scyles rode off to his own place, but the Scythians rebelled against him, setting up his brother Octomasades son of the daughter of Teres, for their king. Scyles, learning what had happened concerning him and the reason why it had happened, fled into Thrace, 
and when Octomasades heard this, he led his army there. But when he was beside the Ista, the Thracians barred his way, and when the armies were about to engage, Setalces sent this message to Octomasades. Why should we try each other's strength? You are my sister's son, and you have my brother with you. Give him back to me, and I will give up your Scythes to you, and let us not endanger our armies. Such was the offer Sitalkes sent to him, for Sitalkes' brother had fled from him, and was with Octomasades. The Scythian agreed to this, and took his brother Scythes, giving up his own uncle to Sitalkes. Sitalkes then took his brother and carried him away, but Octomasades beheaded Scythes on the spot. This is how closely the Scythians guard their customs, and these are the penalties they inflict on those who add foreign customs to their own. How numerous the Scythians are, I was not able to learn exactly, and the accounts that I heard did not tally, some saying that they are very numerous, and some that they are very few, so far as they are true Scythians. But this much they let me see for myself. There is a region between the Borysthenes and Hypanis rivers, whose name is Exampius. This is the land that I mentioned when I said that there is a spring of salt water in it, whose water makes the Hypanis unfit to drink. In this region is a bronze vessel, as much as six times greater than the cauldron dedicated to Parsenius, son of Cleombrotus, at the entrance of the Pontus. For anyone who has not yet seen the latter, I will make my meaning plain. The Scythian bronze vessel easily contains 5,400 gallons, and it is of six fingers' thickness. The vessel, so the people of the country said, was made out of arrowheads. For their king, whose name was Ariantus, desiring to know the census of the Scythians, commanded every Scythian to bring him the point from an arrow, threatening death to all who did not. So a vast number of arrowheads was brought, and he decided to make and leave a memorial out of them. And he made of these this bronze vessel, and set it up in this country, Exampius. This much I heard about the number of the Scythians. As for marvels, there are none in the land, except that it has by far the greatest and the most numerous rivers in the world, and over and above the rivers and the great extent of the plains there is one most marvellous thing for me to mention. They show a footprint of Heracles by the Tyrus River stamped on rock, like the mark of a man's foot, but forty inches in length. Having described this, I will now return to the story which I begin to tell. While Darius was making preparations against the Scythians, and sending messengers to direct some to furnish infantry and some to furnish ships, and others again to bridge the Thracian Bosporus, Artabanus, son of Hystaspes and Darius's brother, by no means wanted him to make an expedition against the Scythians, telling him how hard that people were to deal with. But when, for all his good advice, he could not deter the king, Artabanus ceased to advise, and Darius, all his preparations made, led his army from Susa. Then the Persian Oyobazus, who had three sons, all with the army, asked Darius that one be left behind. "'You are my friend,' said the king, "'and your request is reasonable. I will leave all your sons.' Oyobazus was very happy, supposing his sons released from service. But Darius told those whose job it was to execute all of Oyobazus's sons, so their throats were cut, and they were left there. 
But Darius, when he came to that place in his march from Susa, where the Bosporus was bridged in the territory of Chalcedon, went aboard the ship and sailed to the dark rocks, as they are called, which the Greeks say formerly moved. There he sat on a headland and viewed the Pontus, a marvellous sight. For it is the most wonderful sea of all. Its length is eleven thousand one hundred stadies, and its breadth three thousand three hundred stadies at the place where it is widest. The channel at the entrance of this sea is four stadies across. The narrow neck of the channel, called the Bosporus, across which the bridge was thrown, is about one hundred and twenty stadies long. The Bosporus reaches as far as to the Propontis, and the Propontis is five hundred stadies wide and one thousand four hundred long. Its outlet is the Hellespont, which is no wider than seven stadies and four hundred long. The Hellespont empties into a gulf of the sea, which we call Aegean. These measurements have been made in this way. A ship will generally accomplish 70,000 augurai in a long day's voyage, and 60,000 by night. This being granted, seeing that from the Pontus's mouth to the Phasis, which is the greatest length of the sea, it is a voyage of nine days and eight nights, the length of it will be one million one hundred and ten thousand augurai, which make eleven thousand studies. From the Syndic region to Themyscira on the Thermodon River, the greatest width of the Pontus, it is a voyage of three days and two nights. That is, of three hundred and thirty thousand augurai, or three thousand three hundred studies. Thus have I measured the Pontus and the Bosphorus and the Hellespont, and they are as I have said. Furthermore, a lake is seen issuing into the Pontus, and not much smaller than the sea itself. It is called the Maeetian Lake, and the mother of the Pontus. After having viewed the Pontus, Darius sailed back to the bridge, whose architect was Mandrocles of Samos. And when he had viewed the Bosporus also, he set up two pillars of white marble by it, engraving on the one in Assyrian, and on the other in Greek characters, the names of all the nations that were in his army, all the nations subject to him. The full census of these, over and above the fleet, was seven hundred thousand men, including horsemen, and the number of ships assembled was six hundred. These pillars were afterwards carried by the Byzantines into their city, and there used to build the altar of Orthosian Artemis, except for one column covered with Assyrian writing that was left beside the temple of Dionysus at Byzantium. Now, if my reckoning is correct, the place where King Darius bridged the Bosporus was midway between Byzantium and the temple at the entrance of the sea. After this, being pleased with his bridge of boats, Darius made a gift of ten of everything to Mandrocles the Samian, the architect of it. Mandrocles took the first fruits of these and had a picture made with them, showing the whole bridge of the Bosporus, and Darius sitting aloft on his throne and his army crossing, he set this up in the temple of Hera, with the inscription, After bridging the Bosporus that teems with fish, Mandrocles dedicated a memorial of the floating bridge to Hera, having won a crown for himself and fame for the Samians, doing the will of King Darius. This memorialized the builder of the bridge. Darius, after rewarding Mandrocles, crossed over to Europe, he had told the Ionians to sail into the Pontus as far as the Ister River, and when they got to the Ister, to wait there for him, bridging the river meanwhile. 
for the fleet was led by Ionians and Aeolians and men of the Hellespont. So the fleet passed between the dark rocks and sailed straight for the Ister and, after a two days' voyage up the river from the sea, set about bridging the narrow channel of the river where its various mouths separate. But Darius, passing over the Bosporus on the floating bridge of ships, journeyed through Thrace to the sources of the Tiaras River, where he camped for three days. The Tiaras is said by those living on it to be the best river of all for purposes of healing, especially for healing mange in men and horses. Its springs are thirty-eight in number, some cold and some hot, all flowing from the same rock. There are two roads to the place, one from the town of Heraeum near Perinthus, one from Apollonia on the Euxine Sea. Each is a two days journey. This Tiaris is a tributary of the, of the Contadesdus River, and that of the Agrianes, and that of the Hebrus, which empties into the sea near the city of Aenus. Having come to this river and camped there, then Darius was pleased with the sight of it, and set up yet another pillar there, cut with this inscription. From the headwaters of the river Tiaris flows the best and finest water of all, and to them came, leading an army against the Scythians, the best and finest man of all, Darius son of Histaspes, king of Persia and all the continent. Such was the inscription. From there Darius set out and came to another river called Artescus, which flows through the country of the Odrysi, and having reached this river, he pointed out a spot to the army, and told every man to lay one stone as he passed in this spot that he pointed out. After his army did this, he led it away, leaving behind there great piles of stones. But before he came to the Ister, he first took the Getai, who pretended to be immortal. The Thracians of Salmidesus and of the country above the towns of Apollonia and Mesambria, who are called Kermianai and Nipsai, surrendered without a fight to Darius. But the Getai resisted stubbornly, and were enslaved at once, the bravest and most just Thracians of all. Their belief in their immortality is as follows. They believe that they do not die, but that one who perishes go to the deity Salmoxis, or Gebelesis, as some of them call him. Once every five years they choose one of their people by lot, and send him as a messenger to Salmoxis, with instructions to report their needs. And this is how they send him. Three lances are held by designated men. Others seize the messenger to Salmoxis by his hands and feet, and swing and toss him up on the spear points. If he is killed by the toss, they believe that the god regards them with favour. But if he is not killed, they blame the messenger himself, considering him a bad man, and send another messenger in place of him. It is while the man still lives that they give him the message. Furthermore, when there is thunder and lightning, these same Thracians shoot arrows skyward as a threat to the god, believing in no other god but their own. I understand from the Greeks who live behind the Hellespont and Pontus that this Salmoxis was a man who was once a slave in Samos, his master being Pythagoras, son of Nesarchus. Then, after being freed and gaining great wealth, he returned to his own country. Now the Thracians were a poor and backward people. But this Salmoxis knew Ionian ways, and a more advanced way of life than the Thracian, for he had consorted with Greeks, and moreover with one of the greatest Greek teachers, Pythagoras. Therefore he made a hall, 
where he entertained and fed the leaders among his countrymen, and taught them that neither he nor his guests nor any of their descendants would ever die, but that they would all go to a place where they would live for ever and have all good things. While he was doing as I have said, and teaching this doctrine, he was meanwhile making an underground chamber. When this was finished, he vanished from the sight of the Thracians, and went down into the underground chamber where he lived for three years, while the Thracians wished him back and mourned him for dead. Then in the fourth year he appeared to the Thracians, and thus they came to believe what Salmoxis had told them. Such is the Greek story about him. Now I neither disbelieve nor entirely believe the tale about Salmoxis and his underground chamber, but I think that he lived many years before Pythagoras. And as to whether there was a man called Salmoxis, or this is some deity native to the Getai, let the question be dismissed. Such were the ways of the Getai, who were subdued by the Persians and followed their army. When Darius and the land army with him had come to the Ister, and all had crossed, he had the Ionians break the bridge and follow him in his march across the mainland, together with the men of the fleet. So the Ionians were preparing to break the bridge and do Darius's bidding, but Coes, son of Alexander, the general of the Mytilenians, after first asking if Darius were willing to listen to advice from one who wanted to give it, said, Since, O king, you are about to march against a country where you will not find tilled lands or inhabited cities, let this bridge stay where it is leaving those who made it to guard it. Thus, if we find the Scythians and do what we want, we have a safe way of return, and even if we do not find them, at least our way back is safe. For my fear has never been that we shall be overcome by the Scythians in the field, but rather that we may not be able to find them, and so go astray to our harm. Now it may perhaps be said that I say this for my own sake, because I want to remain behind. But it is not so. I only declare publicly the opinion that I think best for you, and I will follow you and do not want to be left here. Darius was very pleased with this advice, and he answered Coes thus, My friend from Lesbos, do not fail to show yourself to me when I return to my house safe, so that I may make you a good return for your good advice. After saying this, he tied sixty knots in a thong, and summoning the Ionian sovereigns to an audience said to them, Gentlemen of Ionia, I take back the decision which I delivered before about the bridge. Now take this thong and do as follows. Begin to reckon from the day when you see me march away against the Scythians, and untie one knot each day. And if the days marked by the knots have all passed and I have not returned, embark for your own homes. But until then, since the plan is changed, guard the bridge, making every effort to keep and watch it. You will please me very much if you do this. Having said this, Darius hastened to march further. Thrace runs farther out into the sea than Scythia, and Scythia begins where a bay is formed in its coast, and the mouth of the Ister, facing southeast, is in that country. Now I am going to describe the coast of the true Scythia from the Ister and give its measurements. The ancient Scythian land begins at the Ister and faces south and the south wind, as far as the city called Carcinitis. Beyond this place, the country fronting the same sea is hilly and projects into the Pontus. It is inhabited by the Tauric nation as far as what is called the Rough Peninsula, and this ends in the eastern sea. For the sea to the south and the sea to the east are two of the four boundary lines of Scythia, just as seas are boundaries of Attica, and the Tauri inhabit a part of Scythia like Attica, as though some other people, not Attic, 
were to inhabit the heights of Sunium from Thoricus to the town of Anaphlystus, if Sunium jutted further out into the sea. I mean, so to speak, to compare small things with great. Such a land is the Tauric country, but those who have not sailed along that part of Attica may understand from this other analogy. It is though in Calabria some other people, not Calabrian, were to live on the promontory with a line drawn from the harbour of Brundisium to Tarentum. I am speaking of these two countries, but there are many others of a similar kind that Taurus resembles. Beyond the Tauric country the Scythians begin, living north of the Tauri and beside the eastern sea, west of the Cimmerian Bosporus and the Maeotian lake, as far as the Tanais river, which empties into the end of that lake. Now it has been seen that on its northern and inland side, running from the Ister, Scythia is bounded first by the Agathersi, next by the Neuri, next by the Man-Eaters, and last by the Black Cloaks. Scythia, then, is a four-sided country, two of whose sides are coastline, the frontiers running inland and those that are by the sea making it a perfect square, for it is a ten days' journey from the Ister to the Borysthenes, and the same from the Borysthenes to the Maeotian Lake and it is a twenty days' journey from the sea inland to the country of the Black Cloaks, who live north of Scythia. Now, as I reckon a day's journey at two hundred studies, the cross-measurement of Scythia would be a distance of five hundred miles, and the line drawn straight up inland the same. Such, then, is the extent of this land. End of Volume 2, Part 4